Isn't it encouraging to know that the Heavenly Father has given us an instruction manual that can help us avoid extremes as we help our kids learn to live instead of living and learning? Let's join Dave Wurtson as he continues our discussion titled Kids and the School of Hard Knocks, talking about the limits of parental authority while maintaining respect and honor. Your Heavenly Father is very, very concerned that you honor and respect and love mom and dad. And by the way, that doesn't stop. That honoring and respect doesn't stop when you're 21. Now, obedience might. The Lord isn't calling me as a father of four to jump when my father says jump. But the Lord's not telling Dave Wurtson, you need to obey your father. I have my own home. I have my own responsibilities. I have my own place within his family. But the Lord is calling me to honor him, to respect him, to love him. Many of you that are, that are older have been a marvelous example of children that have cared, that have loved. I've seen many of you agonize and sacrificially give to one elderly parent after another. I'm not talking about making them dependent upon you when they don't need to be. I'm not talking about invading their lives and trying to control it at all. But I'm talking about that genuine love for a parent that wells up from deep inside, that overcomes some of the hurts from maybe childhood or from a teenager, and you're able to forgive some of the failings that were there. You've matured enough to realize that no father, no mother is perfect, and you're able to be forgiving enough and mature enough to graciously give and honor and respect a parent. So many of you have fulfilled, I've seen you fulfill this commandment of the Lord from the law of Moses and from the law of Jesus Christ. Very important for the heart of God for us to honor parents. Not a religious rule, but a divine instruction about how to live skillfully. It's wise, it's productive, it's good for us to have a deep respect for the role of a father and mother in our lives. Now the Pharisees, these people that are scrupulously obeying all these rules, they threw out that law. That was one of the major commandments that God gave. But Jesus said in verse 11, you said that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. And this is a little bit hard to understand. What in the world are they talking about? Well, let's fill in some of the Jewishness to this. There is a command in the Old Testament that if a man swears that this particular money, this particular piece of land, this particular offering is devoted to the Lord, that it had to be given to the temple or to the religious worship of Israel. The scribes, the Jewish legal experts, would be the ones who would evaluate these oaths. Let's, let's say, for example, a son got angry and he was supposed to have some money that he would use to care for his mom and dad when they became aged, but he got really angry at his father and he swore, he says, all that money is going to be devoted to the temple, you're not going to get any of it it would come before the Jewish court. And the scribes would need to evaluate, was that a rash oath that should be nullified 
Because it's inconsistent with the principles, with the heart of what the Old Testament was saying. And what the Jewish scribes would do is they would say, no. The scripture teaches in the book of Numbers that when an oath is made, when a man devotes something korban, it's devoted as an offering, as a gift to Yahweh, there are no exceptions. They had another, they had a very good reason for saying that. They would get the money. Don't ever ask a religionist to make a judgment when it's a judgment between whether you get the money or your parents get the money or they get the money. That's not very unbiased. But the scribes wouldn't come out and talk like that. What they would say is, we must be devoted to God. We must give the money where you offered it. And so aged parents would be left uncared for and the temple treasury would get bigger and bigger. And that same kind of shenanery is going on today among religious leaders. And Jesus Christ pointedly looked at this monastery philosophy and said your rigid rules and regulations cause you to set aside the deep heartfelt principles, things that are very near to the God of the universe. You set those principles aside trying to obey your little human traditions. And you set one scripture against another rather than trying to hear the voice of God in the unity of scripture. And Jesus said that was terribly, terribly evil. Now the Lord penetrates to the very depths of the monastery philosophy and why it will not work. He turns to the crowd and he says this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And Jesus asked, Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart. It doesn't go deep into his personality, into the core of his being. Instead, it just goes into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, sensuality or lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and all these evils come from inside and make him unclean. Jesus Christ penetrates to the very core of the reason why the monastery philosophy won't work. And I want to challenge you as we think about don't send your kids to the school of hard knocks. I want to challenge every one of you parents to ask yourself, are you operating on the monastery philosophy? I want all the kids to ask yourself, am I just living by a list of religious rules and regulations? Because it will not work. I've had one parent after another come to my office and say, we sent our kids to church every time the doors were open. We sent them to the right Bible school. Our daughter couldn't possibly be pregnant. It's impossible. We did all the right things. 
Another parent will come up and say, why is our son, he went away to college and it's in his second year. Now he doesn't want to see the inside of a church. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Bible. How could that have ever happened? He memorized all the Awana verses. How could that have ever happened? They begin to cry. And the reason that doesn't work is the monastery philosophy won't work. You see, the problem is not on the outside. The school is very concerned about the drug problem, and they ought to be. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to bring guard dogs in. We're going to sniff it out, which isn't such a bad thing. We're also going to teach the kids all about drugs. We're going to teach them all about drugs so they learn about it, so they don't do things in ignorance. We're going to do the same thing about sexuality. It's very important to get the facts out. And the whole idea is, if we can only teach the right kinds of facts, if we can only get the right kinds of information out there, then everything will be all right. If we can change the environment a little bit, if we can change the outside a little bit, everything will be all right. I want every one of you to realize that'll never work. It'll never, never, never work. A teenager does not get pregnant because of false information fundamentally. I'm not saying they shouldn't have accurate information. They should. We're going to talk about that as we study the book of Proverbs. God doesn't blush about anything with sexuality. Song of Solomon is filled with very, very sensual, very beautiful sexual language. God created sex. He's not uptight about it at all. But facts are not going to keep teenagers from messing around in an area. And sex is like nitroglycerin. It can heal your heart, but it can blow you to smithereens. And all the facts in the world won't keep young people from getting involved. Drugs, the drugs, those in our church right here that have been involved in that area, if they stood up right now, they would say, listen, I had all kinds of facts. In fact, to be honest with you, I know a lot more about drugs than the police do. I know all about how they influence your body. I'm a living experiment right here. And you say, well, why didn't you stop? Every night in the news, the sportscaster says, how in the world could he have ever done it? Guys have died from doing that. What a stupid question to ask. How many of you have ever done something that you absolutely knew would hurt you? You absolutely knew it was wrong. You absolutely knew this is a bad thing and you did it anyway. Anybody want to volunteer to say, oh yeah, I've done some things like that? Be honest, come on. You've got a self-destruct principle in your tank. There's a deadliness inside of us. And that's what's wrong with a monastery philosophy. You see, you can't control that tiger that wants to destroy you. You can't control the lion that's roaring the world as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You cannot control him by external rules, by locking people in a behavior pattern. You cannot. And that's why the monastery philosophy won't work. Why? Because all a monastery does is build a wall around the outside. But it never touches deep on our inside. Now, there's another group of parents that are not the monastery approach. Some of you were raised in the monastery approach. 
and you were raised with some parents that religion was rules and regulation, you scrupulously obeyed all the rules and regulations till you went away to college and then you were sick and tired of the whole mess and you reacted against it, you said it doesn't work, it's wrong. So you adopted another philosophy, that is the lazy fair approach. In economics, the lazy fair idea is hands off. Government, stay out. And all the businessmen said, and all the businessmen said, don't say amen too hard. You might not like that too much, okay? All I'm saying is that's the idea. You know what I'm talking about in economics. It's just hands off. Let the business world do its thing. Let supply and demand solve everything, and everything will be honky-dory. We all know deep in our hearts it's probably not that simple, but you understand the basic idea of a lazy, fair approach is do your own thing. Learn by experience. The lazy fair dad is the very last dad sitting around the pool. His daughter comes prancing out in a very skimpy bathing suit. And the lazy fair dad is the last dad in all the world that realizes his little girl is not four years old anymore. That every guy in the pool has eyes for his daughter because she is a very well-proportioned adult woman. The lazy fair dad is the last dad to even see that. The lazy fair mom and dad also have a basic idea. And over a coffee with a friend, it sounds like this. I sowed my wild oats, or I really wanted to. Maybe you had a monastery parent, you couldn't. But deep in your heart, you said, boy, I really wish I could have sowed my wild oats. The Amish people where Dave Lowry grew up had this basic philosophy. When I visited Dave's dad, his father took us all over the Lancaster area. And his father was sharing with us about the Amish people. How many of you know the Amish people? You know, black coats, locked into it. You talk about a monastery philosophy. They've got it. They don't even drive cars. They just stop the human race. They stop time back there in the horse and buggy days. There's an interesting thing, though, that they do with their teenagers. And Dave will tell you, I've almost got run over several times by teenage Amish kids. They didn't know how to drive too well, because mom and dad sure can't teach me. Vroom, here comes the Amish kids. You ask an Amish parent, their basic philosophy is let them sow their wild oats. Let them get out in the world. And then they'll come back. They'll get to be about 21. They'll want to marry a good Amish girl, and they'll live happily ever after within an Amish society. That's the basic approach. Let the kids do their thing. That's what a lot of you do. Man, till they're 12 years old, man, you're fifth. Oh, I'm going to hold them. They're 13 now. They've got to learn someday. Do your own thing. Tell your teenager no. Who ever heard of such a thing? Man, they need to do their own thing. They need to try out some things. I adopt that philosophy with wood-burning stoves. Great philosophy with wood-burning stoves. One day, we, all of you know we have a wood-burning stove in our house. And when it's really cranked up, it'll go up to 1,000 degrees. It won't melt down. About 2,000 it would probably melt down, but it's got an automatic thermostat on it, Lord willing. It will not do that. At 1,000 degrees, though, it's plenty hot. Mary comes to me one day several years ago and says, Dave, we really got to do something about the wood-burning stove. So I passively say, say, why? Why do we have to do anything? Because Janine is going to burn the living daylights out of her hand. I say, good. She'll never touch the wood-burning stove again. You can count on it, Mary. She plants her little palm on a thousand-degree stove. She'll forever remember that wood-burning stoves are hot, and she will never touch another one again. And that's a great approach to parenting. Lazy fear, no fences, 
no barriers, just let them experience. Now that philosophy would work really well if we lived in a world without any wood-burning stoves. But if I actually followed that course of procedure, I should have Janae taken away from me and given to a parent who will not brutally abuse her. You don't let three-year-olds learn about wood-burning stoves by burning the tar out of their palms. They'll be scarred for life. And mom and dad, you need to realize you know there's some wood-burning stoves out there. You know there's some things that are too hot to handle. You know there's some situations that are too strong for your kids. Please have the guts. I'm going to be real strong with you. Please have the guts to put a fence up there. Your kids are not 37 years old. They haven't had all the experiences that you have. They haven't made a lot of the mistakes that you have made. You do know more about life morally and spiritually. Be an adult. Say no. Boy, I have to talk hard to myself of that. I, my personality is, let's everybody just live and let live. That's the way I am. I'm very hard on myself. I don't want to be hard on anybody else. And that's what's killing our kids. Nobody wants to be a daddy. You know what it takes to be a daddy? Strength. No. Why? And then be filled with reasons. Strong, godly reasons. Because I'm a daddy that knows God. The greatest person in all the universe to know. I'm a daddy that knows God's principles and I've been trying to obey them. I'll be very honest with you, son. I'll be very honest with you, daughter, where I failed God. And I'll also tell you where it blew everything. I'm a daddy who's real, who knows Jesus Christ in a personal way, and I have found the greatest answers to all of life. And I am not deciding when I will grow up and what I'm going to be when I do grow up. I will be grown up. It is my time to be the guide, to be the teacher, to be the friend who points the way. To be the skillful teacher that knows when fences need to be put up. To know when to teach about how hot wood-burning stoves are. A daddy that does put a fence up so that little palms are not scarred. But also a daddy that takes little daughters next to the wood stove and says, Hot, hot, hot. Hurt and teaches about the reality of wood-burning stoves so that one day the fence can be taken away. Take that and apply it in a lot of moral areas of life. The lazy, fair philosophy will not work because the problem of evil is inside of us and it's a deadly problem. The monastery philosophy doesn't work because it fails to discern that the problem is inside. The lazy, fair philosophy doesn't work because it fails to discern that the problem within is terminal. The wages of sin is death. Our kids might not make it if we let them just do their thing. So you say, well, Dave, what's the alternative? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Don't send your kids to the school of hard knocks. God has a much better philosophy. It's not live and learn. It's learn so you can live. It starts with a fundamental foundation, the reverence of the Lord, an intimate, personal, respectful relationship with God is where it all begins. 
And for the next several weeks, we're going to try to take back the book of Proverbs and try to get rid of some of the husks from a bygone era. And we're going to try to expose some of those life-giving capsules of skillful living that our smallest children all the way to the oldest adults need to know. Now, I want to say this. As we begin a series like this, I want all of you to realize, some of you say, well, Dave, it's too late for me. No, it isn't. You say, well, my kids have already made a lot of mistakes. They've already messed a lot of things up. They've already broken my heart. And one thing I want you parents to realize is that doesn't necessarily mean that you did everything wrong. doesn't mean that. You can do everything right. You can be honest. You can be sincere. You can be warm in your relationship with the Lord. And your kids can make the wrong choice because they're made in the image of God with a will. So I don't want any parent to sit here and just get feeling more guilty and more guilty and more guilty. Don't kick yourself for what you did not know. Learn now. Many of you are grandparents now. Now is the time for us to dig into the Word of God together. Now is the time for us to allow the Spirit to change. We cannot change the past. We cannot change it. We can have it forgiven. What needs to be forgiven, what does not need to be forgiven, we can leave behind us. But please don't let Satan stall you out in the present because you feel so guilty about the past. We're going to get down to business. And I'm going to try to just share from my heart what the book of Proverbs is teaching. And I want you to share from your hearts. And we are in this together. We join hands and we covenant together. We will raise this child in a skillful, wise, Christ-like atmosphere. The only way we can do that is by carefully reading what it teaches in God's handbook for skillful living. I desperately need that information or my kids will go to the school of hard knocks. They might anyway. But if they do, I pray with all my heart, it will not be because I locked them into a monastery or because I adopted a lazy, fair attitude. I pray with all my heart that I'll grow up enough, that Mary and I will grow up enough to know the Word of God, to apply the principles for skillful living in our own life with an integrity and love so that our kids can learn and live. They won't have to learn in the school of bad experience. They can learn in the school of parental discipline. Father, today I pray that you would have given us a lot of things to think about. Use this construct of the monastery philosophy and its failure to deal with the internal reality of evil I pray that you would use the idea of a lazy fare, of a, of a live and learn, easygoing, passive orientation, not dealing with the deadliness of evil, to really help us all in our own personal lives and then in our parental training to think carefully about what we are doing in a day-by-day way. And I would ask you that you would help us to be able to give all of our children the gift of having a wise head on young shoulders before we send them out into the world. I pray that we would be able to send out into the world children that are not naive about evil, 
but they are innocent of evil. I pray, Father, that we would realize that the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And I'm just so thankful that in Proverbs that you just sat down with us and expelled life's realities and living color so that we could learn the choices that would bring success and those which would bring failure. And I would pray with all my heart that your spirit would take the teaching of your word and use it to protect some of the precious children from being burnt in the school of bad experience. I pray that you would touch some parental hearts and cause them to reaffirm their commitment to train their children in Christ's likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.